My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Uh, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and make your way to Mark chapter 7. We'll be there in just a minute. Um, if you need a handout uh, for today's lesson, I would encourage you to go to OurSundaySchool.com and click on the Read tab. Uh, if you're watching this on Facebook, Julie posted the link to the handout just a couple of minutes ago uh, as Barry was commenting on the beauty in Mitch's eyes. Uh, and I am just not going to be able to uh, address that this morning in today's lesson. Uh, we have other things that we're going to need to attend to. So um, y'all just need to police Barry and uh, keep he. Uh, maybe if, if uh, Vicki is watching as well, she can uh, disconnect his internet. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, if you got your Bibles, head over to Mark chapter 7. We'll read that in just a minute. Uh, but I do want to start with our question that we ask each week. What is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Uh, so if you've been thinking about that and meditating on that, I would encourage you to, to put any answers that you have into the comments and we can kind of talk through those as we go through today's lesson. Um, but if you got your Bibles, we'll start with uh, Mark chapter 7. I'm reading out of the ESV this morning, as I usually do, and uh, that'll become important later on in today's lesson, especially for those of you that have um, uh, read ahead and studied this particular text. Uh, today we're in uh, the passage that starts in verse 14, and we'll get through a few verses, and uh, Amy Velosin, Lord willing, will uh, teach next week's lesson. I'm excited to have her uh, be able to do that. We've, we think we've worked through the, the kinks in the video production here, and I, I believe we can get her uh, engaged, and I believe you'll have a, receive a blessing from that. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, Mark chapter 7, uh, Mark chapter 7. <clears throat> Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. 
There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts and sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And he looked up to heaven and sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf hear and the mute speak. Amen. So today's text, I told you just a minute ago, uh, we're starting with verse uh, 14 in Mark chapter 7, and it comes obviously right on the heels of verse 13. There's your math for the day. But the context of verse 13, uh, verses 1 through 13, were that Jesus was dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees that had come to try to catch him in some error uh, so that they could levy charges against him. And as you know, they, they weren't successful at this point in time. They were successful later on. Uh, but he deals with them, and it appears that there's some sort of a public setting that this is happening in, as is typical for the uh, scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, they, were, they were some type of eating that was going on, obviously, because the scribes and the Pharisees uh, had noticed that Jesus' disciples didn't wash their hands, uh, and then they engage in a question with Jesus. Jesus answers them. He quotes scripture. He shows his uh, dependence upon the sufficiency of scripture. And then he tears into them and basically calls them out for their false teaching. And what I want you to see here is that Jesus gives us a beautiful model of dealing with false teaching and then moving into right teaching. It's not just enough to say, you're wrong. What's better, what's more complete 
is to say, that's wrong. It doesn't align with Scripture. This is what Scripture says, and this is what Scripture teaches. Um, that is a much more complete perspective. So I love that, that Je- we get to see a bit of Jesus' heart as a teacher here, that he doesn't just leave the people with, well, I don't know what right is, but those guys are wrong. Uh, he, he takes that extra step of explaining to the people what it is that the Pharisees got wrong. So we pick up in verse 14, and uh, we see here in verse 14, the text says, And he called the people to him again. And there's really no indication in the text here that there was a break between 13 and 14. We can just likely assume and it just goes straight into. So the, the scribes and the Pharisees have been embarrassed at this point. The assumption is that either either uh, Jesus has kind of pushed them away or they have left. But he, he calls the people to him at this point. And he said, and this word said is in the imperfect tense, so this is action continually, repeatedly happening in past time. So this is something that he would have said to them several times, uh, perhaps getting the attention of the crowd, or perhaps this was something that was normal for him to do before he spoke. But uh, this is what he says, Hear me, <clears throat> all of you, and understand. And that word hear is an active imperative. So it's a, a command to be repeatedly obeyed. So hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. We are to continuously continually hear Jesus. Uh, And the great thing is, uh, this is the only voice in the world that we have that we are commanded to hear and understand. So we have Jesus' words. This is uh, the Word of God. Christ himself was the Word of God. So we are always safe to hear Jesus. This is a, a beautifully safe command to follow. Uh, It's good for our souls. It's good for our lives to hear Jesus. But if we only hear him and we don't understand, there can be a big disconnect between our behavior and our hearing. So he takes the next step here. Hear me, all of you, and understand. So this word understand is another active imperative. So there's two commands that Jesus gives to the people before he actually gives them the explanation of what's going on. So he commands them to hear and he commands them to understand. And the irony here of this, this word, understand, um, is that we see, and, and I think Amy is going to expound on this a little bit more next week, but we see the question and answer period that he has with the apostles here in a few minutes that the apostles didn't understand, right? They didn't get it. They were watching these things. They didn't understand what was going on. But Jesus has just commanded the crowd to understand, so uh, when we get to verse 17, I'll talk a little bit more about the, the size and the, the groups and the circles that Jesus ran in. But just understand, hearing and understanding are two commands that Jesus gave to this audience. And he doesn't leave them without options. So from what we can tell, the people there could hear. And the people there didn't understand. So he's going to help them obey his own words which is what he does. Now today, for us as New Testament believers, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who illuminates the text and helps us to understand what God is saying to us. So God helps us understand what God says. It's a beautiful setup because we are wholly and completely insufficient and incapable of doing this on our own. So we need help. So Jesus helps this crowd. The Holy Spirit helps us. God is actively engaged in helping man understand his word, which is wonderful because he's higher and beyond us. 
All right, so here we go. Verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, command, all of you, and understand, command. Now, this word for understand shows up a couple other times in Mark. Uh, it shows up in Mark 4, verse 12. So if you studied this passage this week, you would have seen this. Uh, Mark 4, verse 12. Um, I'll start with verse 10. It says, and when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. We talked about this several months ago. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So Jesus tells us he's using parables on purpose. There's a very specific reason for him doing this. The other time this word shows up that we've seen so far in Mark is Mark 6, 52. And this is uh, specifically after Jesus has walked on the water. He's in the boat with the uh, disciples. I'll pick up with verse 50. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So earlier that day, they had seen him feed uh, at least 5,000 people. And they were still churning through this. They didn't understand what was going on. They couldn't, they couldn't put all this into the right context, and they needed help. Uh, and we'll see that Jesus actually does this later on. So two more times this word shows up in Mark's gospel or in chapter 8, uh, in verses 17 and in verse 21, uh, when we see that Jesus is talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod in verses 14 through 21. And he asked them in verse 17, uh, do you not yet perceive or understand? And he asked them again in verse 21, this is to the apostles, do you not yet understand? So he is pounding this concept of understanding. Do you get it? Do you understand? Do you see what's happening here? And they didn't. They just really didn't. They didn't get it. Um, which is one of the reasons we, hi, uh, should be very patient with those that don't understand. Um, if we explain a Bible passage or a text to someone and they, they look at you as if they just don't get it, uh, let's be patient. Uh, the, the apostles had Jesus Christ himself, and they didn't get it using their own human intellect. So this is a work of the Spirit. This is not a work of man to understand God's Word. So let's not, let's not put uh, a guilt trip or an inferiority complex on someone for their inability to understand Scripture because it's not about intellect. It's about the Spirit, actually uh, illuminating the text so that we can see and understand and know God's truth. So it's just kind of a side comment there, but I wanted to make sure we got through that. So verse 15, there is nothing. All right, so let's count for a second. So uh, what number is nothing? I know we have lots of kids watching today, so shout it out real loud. I want everybody in the house to hear it. What number is nothing? Good, zero. That's exactly right. So there is nothing. There is There are zero things anywhere, zero things anywhere outside a person that by going into, so going into, we just finished talking about washing hands when you sit down to eat. So the context here is a conversation around eating and washing hands and cleanliness and what it means to be clean or to be dirty or profane or defiled. 
Uh, so there is nothing that going outside a person that from it going from outside a person that by going into him can defile him. And in this word, this whole passage, if you look at where this word defile shows up in the Gospel of Mark, shows up twice in seven fifteen, once in seven eighteen, once in seven twenty, and then once in seven twenty three. This passage is about defilement. That's sort of the concept of this. Somewhere Thesa Morgan right now has a, a, a colored pencil and she is doing something artistic with that word all the way through Mark chapter 7. You go. That's fantastic. Because that is one of the key words in Mark chapter 7. Uh, so if you want to note that as you go through, that might be an easy way to take notes on this particular book. Uh, speaking of notes, I'm a huge fan of the scripture journals. This is what uh, our class has. Uh, this is what we use uh, when we meet in class. It's just a great opportunity because there's a text of scripture on one page and then opportunity for notes. I don't really follow the direction because I'm circling and underlining and arrows and all this sorts of stuff all over the place, but um, a good opportunity to to mark up a copy of scripture uh, so that, <laughs> mark up, <laughs> there we go. Barry somewhere is, um, has a, a rim shot going, so there you go. That was for you, Barry. Um, but let's you uh, take notes uh, around this particular gospel so that we can see and make uh, comments around this is the observations that we're making. Um, I, I promise you that I don't remember everything that I have studied or taught uh, it, regularly. Somebody will come up to me and say, hey, I remember that lesson you taught about this. Uh, what was that you said again? I, I don't know. That's, that's why I wrote it down. Um, that's why I made a website so I could go find it myself later on when I needed to reference it. Um, so don't, don't put a guilt trip on yourself about not being able to remember everything we have studied so far. Just take some notes. It's a lot easier that way. All right. So there's nothing outside a person that going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So, um, Let's make sure we understand what's happening here. So the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Um, so I don't want to get into a whole lot of detail on this, but at some point uh, today or this week, uh, you will go and use the restroom. And those things that you go and get rid of are what Jesus is talking about here from a physical perspective. But remember, Jesus is a master teacher. So he's not just talking about the physical. He's also talking about the spiritual. And you go down to the end of this particular section, other things that come out of a person look like the things that are in verse 21. Um, so evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, that those are other things that can come out of a person. So he's, he's talking here because uh, the Pharisees and the scribes had all of these rules. And we've talked about this several times. They took the Old Testament text and they stacked all this junk on top of it. And they made all these additional rules. And Jesus is saying, carve all of that away. It's not about that. It's about the spiritual component. It's about our behavior. It's about what Actions are coming out of us. It's not about physical food going in and defiling. So if somewhere you're sitting on your couch right now having bacon-wrapped Smokies, go. That's fantastic. 
Jesus declares all foods clean here. So this is really good. You're, you have, you have license and liberty to go and to enjoy and to not be scared and nervous about, well, if I touch that thing or if I partake of that thing that I'm now defiled. No, it's not how this works, right? Jesus came and he made this really, really clear about physical stuff. But he's also got this conversation going about the spiritual things. So make sure we keep both of those in mind as we go through. So there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile. And this word defile is a present active participle. So this is this lifestyle of defilement. This is a, a habitual, regular, continuous defilement here. This is, this is not a good uh, place to be in. Now, I, I do want you to note just for a second, uh, that we just finished verse 15. And I want you to look at verse 16. So uh, verse 16. <laughs> you just thought my earlier joke was uh, the only math thing you were gonna talk about today, right? Okay, so, um, so let's clear up some confusion. I have stacks of books over here that we're gonna walk through for just a second. Uh, to make sure we understand where this is coming from. Because there's no verse 16 in the ESV. Uh, the English Standard Version doesn't have verse 16. And there's a good reason for it. So there's a little note. Uh, mine has an E next to it. Yours might have a different uh, letter or number uh, for the subscript, uh, for the superscript uh, next to, in between the end of verse 15 and the beginning of verse 17. So I'm going to look down there and see what it says. So it says, the note, footnote for verse 15 says, some manuscripts add verse 16. If anyone has hears to hear, let him hear. So some manuscripts add verse 16. You might be thinking, <clears throat> well, uh, what's a manuscript? And uh, why is there no verse 16? And why do some have it and some don't? Sorry, let's talk for a second. I don't see, um, I don't, please tell my doctor, yes, that's exactly right. And I want, yes, Margie, I want little, um, I'm looking over at Julie now. I'd love some bacon wrapped smokies too. <laughs> Um, the, uh, yeah, Brand I knew, so I was so hoping Brandon was going to be on today, Kristen. This makes my heart happy because I have just got, if, if I thought, if I thought I could get the camera angle back where it is on the tripod right now, I would take a picture of the stacks of books over here. So let's talk about this for just a second. So I use a, uh, an ESV for teaching out of Mark. Uh, we discussed this at length when we started Mark. Uh, the ESV is based off of a Nestle Aland uh, copy of the Greek New Testament. So this is my Greek New Testament. Uh, I understand 15, maybe 20% in an easy passage of what's going on here. Uh, but if you look at uh, this particular text in the Greek, so I'm going to show you the Greek real quick, you'll see that uh, right there on this side over here, whoops, on this side right there, you go from 15, this is harder than it looks doing it backward, down to 17. There's no 16. And the reason there's no 16 is that we have uh, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of copies of original, of uh, uh, very, very old uh, copies of the Greek New Testament. So the, the original New Testament was written in Greek. Uh, we don't have what's called the, the autographs, the original version. So what we don't have is a copy of of, of the actual, uh, the actual version that Mark took uh, quill to uh, parchment and wrote on, we don't have that. Or if you use it in Emmanuel, and, and 
than whatever. But we don't have that original version. But we do have our copies of copies of copies of copies of copies. Hundreds and thousands of copies of the New Testament. Some are fragments. Some are uh, most of a whole book. Some are an entire book. Some are of multiple books together. It's, it's awesome. So here's the way this works. So if you're Mark, you would have uh, sent this letter, uh, this gospel, to a lot of different people. So let's say you sent it to four different people. So they got it. Each four of these people got it. And so person number one got it first, and they made a copy of it. Person number two got it next, they made a copy of it. Person number three got it, they made a copy of it. Person number four got it, they made a copy of it. Well, let's say person number four thought, this is amazing. I need to send this to some other churches. Great. So person number four sends it to four other churches, right? And so they each make a copy of it. Now, the great thing is the copies are shockingly consistent. Like it's just, it's mind-bogglingly, amazingly consistent. The, the vast, vast, vast majority of all the differences in the copies have something to do like this. So the, a verse will say, um, uh, we love our Lord Jesus Christ. And, a, and a, a copy of that somewhere else in a different manuscript will say, we love uh, the Lord Jesus. And you're like, well, well, I, th I think we know who we're talking about. Yep, we sure do. Really, really, really shockingly similar uh, versions here. But what happened was uh, these versions from person number four that got copied, got copied again and copied again and copied again and copied again. And, and as you go out further, very small, and many times what it looks like is spelling differences, uh, start to creep in in some of the text. And then in, in some of them, uh, there will be a verse that's missing or a couple of verses that are uh, added in some of the manuscripts. And there are, there are scholars that spend their entire lives tracking down the different versions and tracking down the different versions and tracking down and tracking down and trying to study. And this process is called the textual criticism, trying to study and figure out what was the original. And the great thing is this scholarly work continues today. There's Tons of effort that goes on to study these types of things. Now, what I have found is, um, oh yeah, Chris, we're going there. Uh, that's what my t-shirt's about today. Some of you figured that out already, but that's okay. Uh, what I have found is that I am not smart enough to understand all of the, the, the nuances of all of this. But here's what I want to show you. The uh, the ESV is based on the Nestle Aland. Uh, this is the 28th edition. Uh, I went back. I have several different versions of this. I found my 27th edition. Uh, verse 16 is not in it. I found my 26th edition, Nestle Aland. I don't know why they got really big, but uh, this one's got a nice cloth cover. It's really cool. Uh, my 26th edition, it's not in there either. Julie's laughing at me on the couch because I'm like a book fiend. Uh, now, I found this one. I don't even remember where I found this one. But this one was uh, printed in 1948 in Germany. And it even, like, it's got that old, musty book smell. It's fantastic. I love it. Uh, and I went and looked in this one as well. Uh, there is no verse 16. So going back at least to the 18th edition in 1948, there was no verse 16. Uh, I don't know when uh, verse 16 wasn't first in the Nestle Island. Uh, but it's not been in there for quite some time. So here's the way uh, some of this is pitched. So that's the, that's the Nestle Elan. Uh, in in uh, higher academic circles, Nestle Elan is generally considered to be the superior of the current Greek uh, uh, New Testaments. It's kind of the, the top of the intellectual food chain. There's been more research and more study around it than really any others. And it, you kind of see that from 
version 28, right? You don't make 28 versions of something unless you're really serious about it. Now, uh, the reason this footnote says that in some translations, verse 16 is, uh, is added. So this is my King James from college. Got this one right before I went to college. Uh, it, it kind of fell apart. I did. This is one of the reasons that if you're going to keep a Bible, get a really good cover, get like a goat skin or a calf skin or something that's not going to fall apart because otherwise it just kind of looks ratty. Um, hashtag Daryl Davenport Bible. Uh, so in, in this one, this is Mark chapter 7. If you look at Mark chapter 7 here, you'll see there is a verse 16. And that's because the King James is based off of a Greek text called the Textus Receptus. So this is my copy of the Textus Receptus. Um, not as fancy as my Nestle Alons. But you can see uh, that there is, in fact, a verse 16 right there. So uh, there you go. This is where that came from. So this is a different New Testament text than the ESV is based on. And you might be thinking, Jim, what does all this matter? All right. Here's how you can be stupid publicly. Okay. You can post things on Facebook that look like, oh, this version of the Bible took verses out. Okay. So let's just like, let's just start for just a second. Uh, no, that's not what's happening. Uh, good, honest, uh, uh, trustworthy uh, versions of the Bible are not intentionally taking verses out. What they're doing is there is a difference between the Textus Receptus and the Nestle Elan 28. If you translate a Bible into English based off of this, you will have more verses than you will in this because this one has done more scholarly work. This is a much older version. This one has done much more scholarly work and has basically said some of the verses that are in here probably probably are not present in the original. There you go. Now, I'll give you an example of this one. So if you want to find let him who has ears to hear, uh, I'm going to get the verse right, sorry. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. You can go to Matthew 11, I think it's 15, um, and you can see that exact verse. So those words are in Scripture. And this is, again, a very common thing, that it would be repeated somewhere else, and we just don't think the original has that. So, all right, textual criticism. So let's see Let's see the uh, comments here. It's all Greek to me. Yes, it is, right? And it's really hard. Um, and I thank God regularly for scholars who uh, are so passionate about God's Word that they will dedicate their intellectual lives to the pursuit of us having more confidence that God's Word is God's Word. Um, so there you go. Yes, I have a Textus Receptus. Uh, I want a nice one, but I don't have a nice one. I just have like a, a kind of a flimsier version. Uh, Texas accept us. No, I'm not worried about Texas accepting us. Um, yes, that's exactly right. God's word holds up. And this is one of the beautiful things. Uh, we have thousands of copies of uh, scripture very, very recently from, uh, recently copied from when the actual original autograph was written. Um, thousands and thousands more copies of scripture than any ancient or other, any ancient other work. It's just, it's stunning in its um, dependability. All right, so back to the text here in verse 17. So verse 17, and when he had entered the house, right? So now we're, the, the crowd was outside that he's teaching, we think, because he now the scene is changing. So when he'd entered the house, 
kind of implies verses 1 through 16 probably occurred outside, uh, and left the people, this throng that's outside, his disciples asked him about the parable. Now, this word for asked is, again, in the imperfect tense. So this is the idea that this is repeatedly asked, repeatedly asked, repeatedly asked. This is not just a, so tell us about that. It's very likely they'd been asking this question a lot as they went through. So let's talk about things for just a second. I'm going to talk about Jesus circles for just a second. Um, and uh, one of the things that is helpful to know is who Jesus is around in any given text. We sometimes, hi, my name is Jim, uh, sometimes read the scripture as if everybody that Jesus ever came into contact with is following him around all the time. And that's just quite frankly not the case. Um, it, it's very helpful to know who his audience is at any given moment, because many times he will change uh, uh, pedagogical approaches. Many times he will change his tactics. Many times he will change the way in which he asks questions. Many times he'll change the way in which he answers questions, depending upon who that audience is. So this is a good lens to be looking through the scripture at to find out who really is around right now. So we'll start on the outside. And the outside is kind of there at the bottom of that particular slide. Crowds and unbelievers. There was, these are folks around a lot. People flocked to him. People followed him. This is very, very, very common for Jesus to have people around. Um, it was very common for other disciples and uh, uh, followers to be around him. So people who, who were genuinely interested in uh, his teaching, who, who wanted to pursue this man who showed up, who appears to be the Messiah. Uh, so we're getting more and more serious as we get toward the center of the circle. Uh, then there were 70 disciples that he would send out regularly and, and come back and report out and train. So there was there were larger numbers of disciples than just the 12. He trained a lot of people. He just spent more time with just the 12 apostles than uh, the, the larger set of disciples. And then the inner circle, and if you know anything about Jesus' time on the earth, uh, there were three apostles that he hung out with way more than any other. Uh, he would even call them aside sometimes, uh, Peter, James, and John. And there was one that who referred to himself as the apostle that Jesus loved, and that was John, who really kind of thought of himself as, like, I might be the closest here. Uh, Peter would have put himself first, obviously. He kind of always did. Uh, but I wanted you to see, uh, it's very helpful to know who Jesus is talking to in any particular space. So this might be a picture that you want to just uh, draw in your notes somewhere in the margin of your Bible. Just who is his audience? Who is his immediate audience? Because uh, for me, it can be very helpful to know the context of a quote or a teaching. Uh, if you hear, you know, this happens on the internet quite a bit, right? So you'll see a quote from somebody and you'll go, wow, that was, that was really awful. And then you see who the context was. He's like, oh, well, that makes sense in context, right? This is somebody they really trusted that he said this to or somebody that it, it, the context matters. So I just want to show you this picture to make sure that we have a, a correct view of who the context is. So at this point, where are we in the circle? We are with the 12 apostles. So the, the disciples are around him. And the, the great thing about the New Testament, the New Testament actually makes a distinction between when you just see the phrase the disciples or the apostles, that's referring to the 12. Whenever it refers to the 70 disciples, it'll say the 70 others or the 70 disciples. There's always a, a moniker that goes along with that. So we don't have to worry about, well, which one is it? Scripture's clear on this point. It's really helpful. So uh, that's really where I wanted to land today. I think Amy's going to pick up uh, in verse 18. Uh, but 
I just want you to see how Jesus' circles got really small. So when we started Mark chapter 7, we really are dealing with crowds and unbelievers and all types of folks. And then we got down to, we went from the, the largest circle down to the, the uh, 12 apostles very, very quickly in a short amount of time. And this happens regularly in Jesus' ministry, that these circles uh, change size very, very quickly. So just be aware uh, of that. I like that graph too, Chris. I couldn't find one that I liked online, so I just made that one. So that's the full extent of all my artistic ability in PowerPoint right there. I have nothing left in the bucket. And Kristen Barber is looking at this right now going, oh my gosh, stop coloring with crayons. But that's the best I can do. So Kristen, challenge if you can make me a better one. I bet you can. All right, so we'll stop there. Uh, I'll give you a couple of uh, applications and personalizations just for these few verses. Uh, application point number one, nothing outside defiles, right? There's nothing outside that can defile us. So uh, personalization, what do we do with that? We don't fear the world, but we walk and engage confidently, right? So we're not, we're not uh, tiptoeing through life concerned about, well, I touched that, now I'm unclipped. No, 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 no. Be bold, Christian. Be confident. Your Jesus has declared that nothing outside of you can defile you. This is good news. This is really, really good news. Uh, what's the point number two? Uh, God works without our understanding. Uh, if the apostles who had followed him for months and possibly even a year or more at this point didn't get some of the teachings that he was, that he was having here, uh, we can rest assured that God is doing far, far more than we can actually understand. So, so what do we do with that? Uh, ask for help. Ask for help and ask for wisdom. Uh, it's okay. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask for wisdom. These are good things. And we have a good father who wants to give good gifts like the spirit and the illumination that the spirit brings to us so that we can understand. Um, and then I, I don't really have an application uh, for the, or a personalization for the, uh, the text that we talked about. But I will just say, if you're in this camp, or if you're in this camp, don't hate your brothers, right? You don't have to hate the folks that are over here. You don't have to hate the folks that are over here. I grew up without a really good uh, analogy to describe the hatred that I was uh, privy to between these two different camps. And the best analogy that I've got today is the shirt that I'm wearing. So... If you ever feel like you're talking about another believer, like Carol talks about Joe, then back up. It's time to take a walk around the block. Put the sardine oil down, take a breath, repent of that sin, believe anew in the gospel, and trust in the Lord. Now, I'll leave you with one thought. Uh, God bless you and keep you, and uh, may the fourth be with you tomorrow. Thanks for coming, guys. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.